Matthew, if you would please turn to Matthew chapter 5 initially, if you would. And uh, we are going to, we've gone through the Old Testament books and kind of took a little bit of sabbatical from that. And tonight we're starting on uh, the first book of the New Testament and just going to take a night and uh, kind of fly over uh, the, the book and cannot give you details. And boy, the more I read it, the more I, I study it, the more I wish I could do a series because uh, I think we'd learn a lot from that. But we're just going to kind of give a little survey of the book tonight. And the book of Matthew is, um, is written by a Jew for the Jews. And of course, in the early days of Christianity, when Jesus came, he lived 33 years and... Uh, at the age of 30, got baptized, and then he fasted and prayed in the wilderness and then picked disciples over the next several months. He picked different disciples. In chapter 9, verse 9 of Matthew, it's obvious that he picked Matthew. In other places, they call him Levi, L-E-V-I. But Matthew was a Jewish man from Capernaum, from the northern part of Israel. But he worked for the, uh, the Roman Empire as a tax collector. So he worked with his brothers and sisters, the Jewish people, and collect taxes from them. Now, they were called publicans oftentimes because they weren't always uh, honest, and they would have so much that they were supposed to collect. They would give them money for themselves and would pay the taxes to the Roman government, and they would oftentimes increase that amount unreasonably so, and, uh, but they had, they had security. They'd oftentimes have security of two guards from the Roman Empire that whenever people came to pay their taxes or they went to go collect their taxes, they had the muscle to make it happen. They had the authority, and sometimes they would charge them extra, and they were really hated people. After Matthew was uh, asked by Jesus to follow him in um, Matthew 10 and 9, 9 and 10, uh, he held a big gathering at his home, with his friends. And that was where he was criticized. You know, who is this Jesus? Who is this Messiah that, that eateth with, with sinners and publicans? And uh, he, that's when Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I come to call sinners to repentance. And so Matthew was a man. But for the first 30 years or so of Christianity, after Jesus went back to heaven, they didn't have a Bible. No one could say, well, turn the book of Ephesians. Turn to Matthew, turn to Mark or Luke or Acts or Revelation. Revelation was not written probably till uh, AD 90. So it was a long time after that. So that first century, they were just uh, being repeated. On the, it was built on the foundation of the apostles and uh, prophets that God gave to teach people his word. And they were rehearsing what Jesus had taught them to the people. And some of them were getting supernatural messages from the Lord as prophets and they were telling that God's given them gifts of prophecy to proclaim to the people what they would do until God gave us the scriptures. Well, somewhere probably between 30 and 40 uh, A.D., Matthew uh, wrote the book of Matthew. And he wrote it. It's, it's one of the longer books of our, of our New Testament, Luke being the longest, and Acts, Luke and Acts, and of course written by a physician there. And, but a very, very wise and uh, definitely studied man, Matthew must have been, and of course all under the Holy Spirit of God's inspiration, he put together the book of Matthew. Several purposes, but primarily to tell us that Jesus is king. 
Jesus is the king. He'll reference the kingdom of God many times in the book. Uh, when he opens the book, you, it opens up with genealogies. He establishes that he's the son of Abraham. He establishes that he's the son of David. In his, in his, uh, in his way, he relates once again uh, to Jewish people. Do they, do, they, do they cherish the fact of being the sons of Abraham? Yes. How about the son of David? Oh, David was the beloved king. And then he mirrors him to Moses. Moses was, um, was um, uh, someone who was, was chosen by the Lord to lead his people. But Moses came out of Egypt. Guess what? Jesus, whenever Herod threatened to kill the babies, God sent him and Mary and Joseph into Egypt. So he came up out of Egypt. Uh, Moses... Um, um, he was, he, they, they went from Egypt, out of Egypt, to the Red Sea, a type of baptism. Jesus came up out of Egypt. He uh, got uh, to, uh, he was baptized. And then he went into the wilderness. Guess what Moses did? <laughs> he went into the wilderness. How many days did Jesus go into the wilderness? Forty. How many years did Moses take the people? Forty years into the wilderness. And then two, he took, God took Moses and up into the mountain, and he got, obtained the law. Jesus, after his, he came out of Egypt, and of course, he got baptized at the age of 30. He went to the wilderness for 30 days. He chose disciples, but he went to the mount, the Sermon on the Mount, and he gave the law of love. Everything in that Sermon on the Mount, the most beautiful message you'll ever read, the greatest preaching that you'll ever hear, uh, you could listen to in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And really, it just shows, it shows love. Love is shown in giving. Where a man's treasure is, there his heart will be also. It's shown in prayer. It's shown in, in fasting and in praying. It's shown in, in how I would turn the other cheek, as Brother Willette was talking about. It's talking about someone bids you to go a mile. Go with him. What would make you do that? Love would make you do that. What, what makes us not become judgmental? The Bible says, judge not that you be not judged. With judgment you judge in chapter 7. What causes someone not to be, to cover a multitude of sins and not take it personally? What would cause someone to do that? Love. So you, he kind of shows them David and Abraham, a descendant of there in his genealogies there. He mirrors Moses. He's like Moses in this way. But his main job is to tell us that he is God. He tells us in the very first chapter, uh, he quotes what is said in the, in the Old Testament, and that is, and he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Matthew is right, he's a Jew, writing to the Jews, reminding them and telling them who this Messiah was that he spent three and a half years with personally, and what he said, and why he said it, and he kind of puts chronologically the things. He usually makes statements, then he gives a narrative. He does a lot of things, telling about the parables, and telling about things of that nature. And then he says, and this is the fulfillment. Twenty-three Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in Matthew's writing concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Where he was born, Bethlehem, that's there. 
that he would be born of a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7, verse number, verse number 14, uh, that he would, uh, that the murder of the children, that's found in Jeremiah 33, 31, where he says that, Ra that Rachel will be crying for her children. She would come up out of Egypt, Hosea. And you'll see the word fulfilled quite a bit. Matter of fact, I think probably the key verse of Matthew would be found in chapter 5 and verse 17. Turn there if you would, please. Chapter 5 and verse 17. And then we'll go to our booklet or to our, 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 our uh, paper there and just kind of give you some things to study at home. Chapter 5, verse 17. And uh, look, I like verse 16 too. Let's read 16 and 17 together, everybody. Ready? Let your light so shine before men and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law, for I am not come to destroy. So why did he come? To do what? Fulfill. And you're going to find the word fulfill numerous times in the book of Matthew. He's telling him, he said, Jesus is this because he fulfilled this prophecy. Everything from they cast, uh, they, they cast um, uh, lots for his raiments that the prophecy might be fulfilled. He was born in Bethlehem that the prophecy might be fulfilled. Everything, whenever children, when mothers would cry because their babies were being slaughtered by King Herod, and part of that was that the prophecy would be fulfilled. It was, it was, it was a part of that. But Jesus is king. Here's a couple things real quickly. And I, I, you've got your sheet there. This is what I want you to write down. Written primary to the Jews from a Jew. If you don't have that, put that down. Key phrases are the kingdom of heaven. It's mentioned 30 three times in our book of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. And once again, a Jesus is the king. A king needs a what? Kingdom. And uh, that is exactly why the kingdom of heaven is mentioned there. The son of David is mentioned ten times. And of course, that is to ring the bell of the Jewish reader and the Bu Jewish attender there. Here's the outline of the book real quickly. Number one, the king is revealed. Chapters one through nine. The king is revealed. So it's in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. His early birth is, is given there. Verses uh, chapter 10 through chapter 16, the king is resisted. You'll see that there's three responses to Jesus. One was reception. They were positive toward him. And that's what made the religious leaders nervous because they knew that the people, there were people who received him gladly. Then there are others that were neutral. They had heard John the Baptist talk about him, and they knew they saw some of the, the miracles, but they were expecting a king that would come and just take over the Roman Empire, break away the pagan constraints that they had. And now this Jesus has a different mantra. He is saying that, he's saying that like, uh, he that is the servant of all is greater. What? No, no, a king, he lets people serve him. What are you doing serving? Rather than getting vengeance, he's exercising forgiveness. This is not the king we have in our mind. So they're just really confused. The group over here, they're positive. And usually these people are the, are the unimportant people and the, and the irreligious people. Remember this, what kind of people heard Jesus gladly? The common people. Yeah. The common people. They're the ones who received him. Remember when uh, John the Baptist, and you can find this in Matthew chapter 11, 
When John the Baptist, he was the one who baptized Jesus, saw the heavens open and saw the Shekinah glory of God come upon him. He's the one who heard the voice of God in his ears as he brought Jesus out of the water and say, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Fast forward a few months later, he finds himself in jail with Herod and, and, uh, and gets, gets overwhelmed, maybe discouraged. And he asked two of his followers, go ask Jesus if he's really the Messiah or we look for another. What was he experiencing? Doubt. So they went and found Jesus. And when and they found Jesus, I'm sure they pulled him aside and said, hey, you know, not me, but John's going through a hard time. He just wants to know if you're really the Messiah, we look for another. And Jesus didn't get mad. He just said, listen, go tell John that the blind see, the deaf hear, the crippled walk again, some are raised back to life, and the gospel is being preached to the poor. Those are the ones who are more receptive to hear that. And of course, what calmed John's fears and his insecurities and his doubts was the words of Jesus. Guess what would calm your fears? <laughs> when you're going through a difficult time, you're discouraged. What might you ought to do? Get back in the scriptures. Hear the words of Jesus. Make sure you don't miss church. Go to church. Don't miss Sunday school. Be in Sunday school. Don't miss uh, an opportunity to go to discipleship. Get in discipleship. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. It'll give you the, that strength. We find that there are people who were positive. That was usually the, the common people. That was the unimportant people, the religious people. Those who were trying to figure out who he was, they saw his miracles. They fed 5,000. In the book of Matthew, he feeds 5,000 one time, 4,000 another time. One primarily a Jewish group, the other probably a Gentile group. But they saw all he was doing, but they, he wasn't fitting the mold that they had in their mind for the king. And you know, sometimes we, we, we accept salvation. We know we're going to heaven. But then things don't happen the way we want. And we think, what's wrong with you, God? <laughs> why, aren't you, why aren't you marching to the beat of my drum? Well, that's exactly how the neutral people was. And by the new were. And remember this, a double-minded man is unstable. Then you had the religious Pharisees who opposed him emphatically. They tried just to trick him. But they, they found out that he was smarter than them. And he understood their thoughts. And so then they went to just to execute him, to kill him, which they successfully did. And uh, that happened there. Well, we see that they rejected him. Resisted. And then in chapter 16 to 27, they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the last part there, the king is raised again. And then, of course, the Great Commission is given there. Look real quickly, a couple facts. There are over 60, some say 68 references to the Old Testament in the book of Matthew. And of course, as a Jewish writer with understanding that he was writing to Jewish people, what other Old Testament, New Testament book is written primarily to the Jews? Hebrews. Thank you very much. The book of Hebrews. These two are especially written with the Jewish reader in mind in particular. We'll find that Luke is not so much. Luke is written more to the Greek. Mark is written to more of the common man. John has written that Jesus is God. We'll learn all of that in time to come over the next few weeks. We see here that he's writing to the Jewish person, and so he uses as many as 68 different Old Testament references. Of some of them I've already given you, 23 prophecies are mentioned that are fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew. 
Once you look at number two there, it gives the instruction to the churches. I personally believe that Jesus was the first pastor and the disciples were the first church. The church was in power with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. I personally think that it was started by Jesus. He was the first pastor and the people were the first church there. And then, it, then when he went back to heaven, the Holy Spirit took over and filled the body of believers there. When he went back to heaven, there was 120 of them in the upper room. However, we see he gave, and one of the reasons I believe that, in the book of Matthew, he gives information about the church. He's speaking as though it's present tense. And so I think it wasn't something that's going to happen. It's something that he said would happen. Let's take our Bibles and go there just for a quick moment to the... To, um, to Matthew chapter 18. And I will not do service to this tonight, and please forgive me. Probably could have used our time a little bit better, but certainly let's look at this. I want you to see a few things that he gives instruction. And in, uh, I tell you what, if you only have one chapter to learn and to read about in the book of Matthew, you can't, you're not going to read the whole book, but you'll read one chapter. Go home tonight and tomorrow and meditate on chapter 18. It is a great chapter on practical living for the Christian. Let's look real quick at verse number 12, 13, 14. First of all, I want you to notice it gives instruction to the churches to care, C-A-R-E. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountain and seeketh that which is gone astray? He's using the parable of the lost sheep. And give an illustration here. And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoices more than the sheep than the ninety and nine which, is, which went not astray. Would you read verse 14 with me? Even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven. So what does that tell us that, about the heart of God for everyone? Little one, big one, strong one. What does he care? He cares about them, doesn't he? And should we care about people? We certainly should. We see that in the church, it should be one of the greatest institutions for care that we, can, that we could be a part of. Look at the next one real quickly. Verse number 15, and eight, verse 15 to 18. You see, he exercises discipline. Moreover, if thy brother who trespass against thee, verse 15, go and tell him thy fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more wit two or more than the mouth of two or more of these witnesses, every word may be established, verse number seventeen. And if he if he neglect to hear them, tell it to unto the what? Church. And if he neglect to hear the church, and let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We find discipline is how to deal with someone you go to them personally. Then if you, they don't receive you, then take another one or two people so that they can help you resolve it. Most of our conflicts with each other would be, be resolved in one or two. And then if for sake they don't do that, then we take it to an assembly and let them help us resolve the issue. Look at the next one, if you would, please. And that is prayer. Verses 18, 19. If two of you will gather together or in agree on, any, on the earth as touching anything that ye shall ask, it should be done to them, my Father which is in heaven. Talking about corporate prayer. So he gives the church's instruction on care, on discipline, and prayer. And then verse 21 and 22. Uh, Peter asked a question and said unto him, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? 
until seven times? That'd be great, wouldn't it? Jesus said to him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven, 490 times. Like, that's too long to count. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not talking about revenge. I'm talking about forgiveness here. And one of the greatest illustrations of forgiveness is found in the following part of this chapter. I hope you'll read it. It's really good. It's really a great, a great analogy, a great story. And it basically says, if you and I do not learn to forgive, we will be tormented. And uh, you talk about someone who's eaten up with bitterness, they understand the word torture. They understand the word tormented. Yes, I am. I feel that way. I feel tortured with what this person did to me. And forgiveness changes that around. Forgiveness is God's plan for conflict. And uh, he shares how to forgive. And then I will, uh, I'm gonna, you can look in chapter 28. Just go ahead and turn there if you would, please. I'll make a couple comments and we're closed tonight. Matthew chapter 28, the last book, last chapter of this book, is that the words are in, uh, in red, and except for the very last one, and that's amen. But uh, we see that the Lord Jesus has given his, his disciples a challenge. Verse number 18, let's all read it together. 18, 19, 20, you ready? And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So we see that he tells the church that the mission of the church is missions. World evangelism is what every church should be thinking about, not just locally, but globally. And it's God's plan that every church be about the Father's business of getting the gospel to the whole world, and that is what he taught them. A couple points to ponder. Number one, realize and recognize the kingdom of Christ uh, in your life. Recognize that he's the king, you're the subject, and uh, I'm the subject. Recognize the kingdom of Christ in my own life. You know, the people of God, they did not want, excuse me, the Pharisees did not want him to be their king. Um, why did Israel uh, want to have Saul or a king? They want to be like other nations. They're rejecting a theocracy. Every Christian should be a theocracy. God should be king. He should be the king of my life. He should be the master, and I should be the subject. Number two, live life on the higher plane. We did not go through the Sermon on the Mount, but I'd like to encourage you to read that Sermon on the Mount. And I do believe there are some, there are some things in Matthew, especially chapter 24, 25, that are prophetic, speaking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the tribulation period. I think if you read those in uh, uh, thinking they're about today, I think you're probably going to have some difficulties in some, in some parts there. The Sermon on the Mount, also, many people believe that is, that is something that only per pertains to the, the coming kingdom. I do believe that that is as applicable today as we're supposed to be. I think if somebody, if someone asks you for something, if you can do more, do more. I think that the things where it says, it says uh, uh, about lay up yourselves treasures in heaven is not for some other time. That's for me right now. I think you can make judge not that you be not judged. That's talking to me today. I think sometimes we take that and say, well, no, that's not for us. That's for some other group in another dispensation. I disagree with that. I think, I think you can find application 
throughout the Scripture, and especially on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was talking about how His kingdom should be run, how His people should live. And I think it's very applicable for us today. However, 23, 24, 25, those are, those are rebukes against the Pharisees and the hierarchy of the religious right and uh, their challenges there. The last thing, God's presence accompanies the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 20. He says, Lo, I am with you always. Just real quickly, I, I love this. There are five times in your Gospels and Acts where God gives, Jesus gives the Great Commission. In Matthew, in Mark, and Luke, John, and Acts. Each time has a different benefit. In Matthew, he says, if you get involved with the Great Commission, you get my presence. Then you're going to, I'm going to be with you. By the way, you say, Pastor, why in the world do you push missions so much? Or why do you challenge us to do that? Well, number one, because I want God's presence on this church family. You know, when you get involved with the Great Commission, I give you my presence. In Mark, he says, listen, in Mark, he says, after he tells them, to preach the gospel to every creature, he says, there, some of you are going to drink poison. It's not going to hurt you. You're going to be bit by snakes, and it won't, it won't affect you. He gives divine protection when people are involved with the Great Commission. You know, this church needs God's protection. It needs God's presence. In Luke, he says, beginning, get everyone to all nations, give them the gospel, but Start in Jerusalem first and work your way out. He gives them his program or his plan. One of the things we do on a regular basis, we try to start in Hammond. I didn't put First Baptist Church in Hammond. God did. And since we're here, we work on the inside out. It's God's plan. In John, he said, my peace I give to you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. You know what comes to a Christian and a church that has a global outlook? Peace. God's presence, God's protection, God's plan, God's peace. And then most of you know Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but ye shall receive power. I don't know about you, but I want to be a Christian that has God's presence, his protection, doing his plan, having his peace, and experiencing his power. I want to have that for a church too. I think the only way we can do that is when we learn to obey the Great Commission. Getting the gospel, taking gospel tracts, talking to people, giving to missions, praying for missionaries, getting the gospel out. When we do that, we get the presence of God, the protection of God. I think I could stand here all night and tell you stories how I think God has helped First Baptist Church in every one of those areas. And given us power when we had no strength. Given us peace when we could have a lot of turmoil. Given us protection, we could have had a disaster. And given us his presence. And I love that about the gospel of man.